We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Tommy's here. I am here. And I did get a lot of feedback from many of you yesterday on the show in which I expressed what I thought about the Eric Bieniemy uh, hiring. Um, Tommy's going to weigh in on that uh, today. We'll get what Tommy thinks. He's written a column on that uh, as well. Um, I read Tommy several, I mean, several emails that I got from so many different people. What I have found in um, in sort of follow up to the show yesterday, many of you agree um, that there is, you know reason to be skeptical. Like I think I said on the show yesterday, it seems like almost everybody in my timeline thinks that this is the greatest move of all time. And it does seem that way. It seems like every bit of 80% of my Twitter timeline, people are over the moon over this Eric Bieniemy yes. um, hiring. But, Mine too. but, but uh, you know, following yesterday's, I got a lot of you that said, look, I'm with you on this. How could anybody just fall for this so easily? You know, first of all, this, this is what Stephen said. Stephen said, first of all, it's Washington. Why would you ever give them the benefit of the doubt? Secondly, the whole league said no to him. That's why there are absolute worthy reasons to be skeptical about this, and there are reasons to be optimistic, too. And I pointed those out uh, as well. Um, I, I read several um, tweets yesterday. I'll read this one, which you know, kind of goes in, uh, you know, with the ones that I was reading yesterday. Seth read, getting the number one OC from the number one offense was quite the feat. Looks like Washington is more desirable than you think, Kevin. This was a stroke of genius. Again, again, Seth, he didn't have any other options. Like even going back to Kansas City was a little bit, we're not really sure because they never – you know, we're put in that position. Now, personally, Tommy, I think Andy Reid would have had to take him back. He would have looked terrible had he professed yes. what he professed publicly and then allowed him to be unemployed in 2023. Also, real quickly, um, from our good friend, the incomparable CJ, who I like a lot and I think has always had a super smart uh, opinion. Um, he was listening either to the podcast or this morning. He said, you can keep saying you're neutral. My, my position, Tommy, is wait and see. I have no idea 
if Eric Bieniemy is going to be a good offensive coordinator or bad off, bad offensive coordinator. I don't know why anybody else would be so sure one way or the other. What I am absolutely sure of is that Washington's out there by themselves for the most part on him. And anybody that thinks that this was some sort of coup is delusional. But the incomparable CJ um, wrote, you can keep saying you're neutral about the Bieniemy hire, but the truth is your words and tone come off as very negative and pessimistic. If this was Roman, as in Greg Roman, I think you'd be singing a different tune. You'll come around. This is the right move. We're lucky. And then from Leonard, Leonard writes, you sound so hopeful about Bienemy. I think this is a terrible <laughs> hire. And so my response to CJ was, you know, his interpretation comes from his perspective. You know, when he says, we're lucky this is the right move, he's going to be looking for the part of me that says you should be skeptical, which I think you should be. Um, I'm glad they hired him because this is a better storyline. I have no idea if it'll work. Um, and then one other quick one, and then I want to get to your your thoughts on this, um, because this was... Um, uh, hold on for one second. I had it here a second ago, and I will find it. Um, but this came from... Yeah, this came from uh, Superdad on Twitter. Bro, you are so negative. You love to piss on a lot of the Washington moves to get out of their rut. But if Baltimore hired him, you wouldn't trash the hire. You would have been like, great hire for them. So, oh, my God. So let me just say to Super Dad, again, I don't know if this is a good hire or a bad hire, but you're right. If Baltimore had hired Eric Bieniemy, I think everybody around the league would have had a completely different reaction. But you know what, Super Dad? They didn't. And that's part of the problem here. That's where the skepticism stems from is Baltimore and every other organization that interviewed him or expressed interest in interviewing him either didn't interview him, but none of them hired them. But yeah, you know, you're right. If Baltimore had hired uh, Eric Bieniemy, I would have thought, you know what? That's probably a place that figured out what the issues were and they'll make it work. Yes, Baltimore gets the benefit of the doubt. Washington does not. That is true. Um, but yeah, and then from Aaron... Aaron writes, can't believe that you haven't crushed Eric Bieniemy higher. This guy didn't get hired by anybody, and Andy Reid didn't want him back. Which is, it's all perspective. You know, it's what you believe. And this, this hire has generated, here's what's also, the, the, what isn't debatable is that he didn't have any other choices, really. I mean, it's really not debatable. And what's also not debatable is this hire has gin people up. Uh, I do think exactly. many, many more, many, many more, not nine, not 80% maybe, I think it's more like 75% maybe of the people that listen to our show. I think, you know, the crowd that you, out there that, you know, screams Carson Wentz, if you're not on board, get out of town, you know, get on board or get out. I think, you know, if you're just attracting the dummy base, then it's probably a higher percentage. But I think still for us, Tommy, 75% of my timeline, oh my God, they think Washington just completely nailed it. Maybe they did. I have no idea whether or not they did or not. 
But anyway, your thoughts well, on the hiring I of Eric Bieniemy? I have an idea. I have an idea. Okay. And this is going to be a massive failure. Because why? Because everything that happens with this organization is a massive failure. This is the place where reputations go to die in the NFL. Mike Shanahan brought two Super Bowls to Washington, D.C., and he left a loser. I mean, this is, this is the place, this is the most self-destructive franchise in the league in every way, shape, and form you can imagine. So even if Eric Bieniemy is good at his job and would be successful someplace else here, it's going to be an absolute disaster <laughs> because everything's a disaster. They all are. I mean, how many more times do you have to be shown that this time is not going to be any different than the last time and the time before that and the time before that until Skipper Dan, the sailing man, gets rid of the team? Yeah, of course. It doesn't matter. None of it matters. And, you know, I mean, this is just another round of Kool-Aid. That's all it is. The, the fan, I mean, what you've got left with this fan base is a cult, and this is just a new brand, a new color Kool-Aid for them. But we have to do what we've done in the past, just suspend, you know, the reality. Yes. So if you suspend yes. reality, Jack Del Rio's been successful here for the, for the first time here. I mean, he certainly was last year. Um, he was last year. You know, uh, and they've they've had some really good performances by players. Look, they have a top 10 defense. That defense is top but 10 But what has it added up to? What has it added up to? I, I understand that, but I'm – They I'm, have a head coach. Mm-hmm. They have a guy in charge of football who actually thought – unless we believe the owner did this, and that even makes it worse – who actually thought it was a good idea to bring Carson Wentz here. I mean, that's not that's – not, a mistake. That's an indictment. Certainly looks that way now, and and certainly looked that way in terms of the deal he, uh, you know, he he gave to Indianapolis for Carson Wentz. That that's an indictment. So while, while no doubt. somebody may be while somebody may be good at their job, there will be something else that will happen in this organization that that will throw a monkey wrench into it. I know. Uh, you but... know being good, there have, there have been a lot of good people. That have worked for this team, so, and it hasn't added up to anything. Which may be one of the reasons that Washington wasn't so off-putting to him. Number one was it was his only option, but number two was, look, even though we've always talked about the reverse car wash, you know, you come in clean, you leave dirty. The truth is, most of the rest of the league doesn't hold you hold it against you that yes. you that you come yes. in here and fail. Yes. I mean, this is, this is the one place where they'll say, well, it was Washington. What, what did you expect from him? He's not a miracle worker. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It depends on what comes out. You know, we, we, don't, we don't know what's going to come out uh, in terms of power struggles that go on behind the scenes. And there will be. Look, as, as far as I know, based on my knowledge, Jack Del Rio has been the assistant head coach here for all intents and purposes. Mm-hmm. Now there's a new voice who actually is the assistant head coach. Right. And it's not North Turner's son who's probably just happy to be there. Okay? This is a guy with a Super Bowl ring 
who's been in the league two a long them. time, and I'm sure he had two of them, and I'm sure he has some really strong views and really strong positions. And that will be interesting how that plays out as well. But again, I mean, to, it's, it's to deny the existence of 22 years of proof right in front of you to think that this will be successful. I don't know how you operate that. Unless you're just delusional. Well, they, and lot, you choose yeah. to be delusional. A lot of what's left in the fan base is, Tommy. I guess you could say they're loyal. That would be a nice way of putting it. But, yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I'm, I've been amazed in recent years, um, not at the erosion of the fan base, but that what's left of the fan base, uh, that they're just so easy um, they're such marks. Not everybody. Some people just really love football. They love this team. They understand. They've got eyes wide open, but they continue to be loyal. And that's, you know, true loyalty. Um, others are just sort of blindfolded through all of the bad, and they don't they don't see it. And then, by the way, they get very aggressive um, when people who de- do see it uh, communicate that. But, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. One more thing. Yeah. Eric Bieniemy, if he's successful, what team in the NFC East are the Washington Commanders going to leapfrog? Good Which point. one of those teams are they going to leapfrog? Talked about that with the Sands Giants? yesterday. I talked about that with Sands yesterday. I mean, all of a sudden, like this idea that look, if if you can find a quarterback that's a little bit better and your defense is what you think it is, it's an easy division. Well, it's not an easy division on paper. No, Philadelphia it's not. is a juggernaut. No, Dallas not. has more talent, and the Giants are coming. You know, all three of those teams yeah. were in the playoffs. You weren't. But but real quickly on the suspension of reality part of the conversation, people have come here and succeeded. You know, it's not like everybody comes here and doesn't succeed. But but shit gets in the way. I I, I know that it, it it get what gets in the way is is you know everything associated with the dysfunction and winning. But there are individual performances that have been really good by coaches by players. Oh, yeah. And so yes. I'm not discounting the possibility that a guy that by all accounts is a good play designer. Um, is a guy that that'll bring a system that actually is more conducive, perhaps, to Sam Howell's strengths. Um, that has two Super Bowl rings. That you know was around all of this creativity and imagination in Kansas City. My God, even if he wasn't responsible directly for any of it, some of it has to rub off. I mean, Kansas City's been spectacular. They're one of the more spectacular offensive teams, and I'm not just talking about from a quarterback standpoint, which is obvious, and he doesn't have that here, um, but from a creativity, from an imagination, from um, you know t- taking uh, w- what they have and figuring it out week in and week out, oh, you have to hope, if you're being hopeful, and there's part of me that is hopeful about this, that enough of this rubbed off on this guy that it's going to be better than what they had. Now, as I'm saying that to you, it's reminding me that I was like, this is a terrible trade. I don't think it's going to work out long term, but I'm hopeful that it'll be better than what they've had. That was what last year was when they traded for Carson yeah. Wentz. I'm, I, it's different because you didn't have to trade for Wentz. There's no trade here that you can bash, you know, in terms of value. Um, but my God, ho- hopefully something rubbed off, even if he wasn't the guy. 
even if he was along for the ride, which, by the way, nobody's ever really suggested. Listen, uh, Andy, whether he was the play caller or not, and he wasn't, Andy Reid's the play caller, Andy Reid is not going to keep an offensive coordinator around for five years who wasn't a valuable contributor. Good point. You know, he's not going to do that. He's not going to just keep him around, okay? So he had to have some value to what the, what the, what the organization did. I believe that. I do, too. Okay, I, I, okay now the other yeah. part I, I bring up in my column, uh, and, and we talked about this before, and I know you don't necessarily agree with it, I think this handcuffs the new owner. Explain, you know, Eric, explain Eric to everybody, enemy, yeah. Eric Bieniemy may not may have been unhirable at one point. Now he may be unfireable. He's the face of of the argument about racist hiring practices in the league. Nobody represents that more than Eric Bieniemy. And let's say by let's say by March uh, we have a new owner, a long shot, but there's a new owner here. And let's say that guy had a plan in place that we don't know about to bring in uh, a new head coach, okay? Can't do that now because that new head coach is going to say, well, I want to pick my offensive coordinator. you got to fire Eric Bieniemy. Well, that's not going to happen. That's ridiculous. Even a year later, I don't know if you can fire Eric Bieniemy. So I think, I think you, you kind of inherit him if you're the new owner. Well, what are, but are, you, that's not, are you saying that Ron did this to essentially no. give himself no, two I don't years? Think he's that, no, I don't. I don't. I, look, maybe he is, but I don't think he's that devious or smart. I think he recognized they had. I mean, I think he recognized that they had really had an opportunity to make a big splash, and that Eric Bieniemy is probably you know. I, I don't know what he was thinking. I don't think that he manipulated this. For his job security, I think that's just like that's just like a byproduct. But uh, more importantly, I don't think Eric, I think I don't think any new owner is going to be in a position to get rid of Eric Bieniemy for a couple of years, no matter what happens. Yeah, I, I I understand that. I just think that this situation, other than the people that make everything um, about race and are just not going to. Um, leave it alone. And and by the way, that doesn't mean that I don't believe that the league has a um, a, a race uh, perception problem when it comes to hiring uh, head coaches. Um, but I just think the enemy thing is an outlier on this. I mean, he interviewed for 15 teams 16 times, wasn't hired once, and yet in several of those opportunities, minority candidates were hired. Also, Tommy, I mentioned this yesterday. Uh, did you? You didn't listen to the podcast yesterday, did you? No, you never do. Um, so that's fine. Um, he does. Uh, by the way, it's not that he only listens when he's on it. He doesn't listen then either. But I was listening no. to Galdi's podcast on Monday yesterday. Um, Monday morning, I was off of radio yesterday, and I was listening to Galdi's podcast, and he he told the story of something that I did not know about. Ryan Poles, you don't know who he is, right? No. He's the general manager of the Chicago Bears. Ryan Poles was in Kansas City for a decade with Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy, For four years with Reid and Bieniemy as the offensive coordinator. 
Ryan Poles was hired last offseason by the Chicago Bears to replace Ryan Pace because um, Pace and uh, and Nagy were both hired, uh, were, excuse me, were both fired during that offseason. His first task was to hire a new head coach. He hired Matt Eberflus, a defensive coordinator from the Colts. By the way, uh, somebody pointed out Eberflus was Cooley's guy, and, and you're right. He Cooley loved Eberflus. Thought he should be should have, think thought he should have been a, a head coach years before. But Matt Eberflus was hired by the Bears with Ryan Poles as the general manager. Had a young quarterback in Justin Fields, a young black quarterback in Justin Fields, and yet. Ryan Poles hired a defensive head coach. But more importantly, Tommy, is that he never interviewed Eric Bieniemy for the job. He had been in Kansas City all of those years, knew Eric Bieniemy presumably very well, had heard Andy Reid endorse Bieniemy over and over again. He gets a job as a GM, there's a coaching vacancy, and he didn't even interview Eric Bieniemy. Beyond that, and I mentioned this yesterday, for those that don't know who Ryan Poles is, Ryan Poles is black. He's a GM in Chicago. He came from Kansas City, from the whole Andy Reid, uh, Veach, you know, group, and did not even interview Eric Bieniemy. I just personally don't know what it is about Eric Bieniemy, but I think the race part with him. I'm not saying that the league doesn't have a problem. I think it's a weak argument. But again, I don't know what it is. You now, may think it's a weak argument, but it has tremendous momentum. I understand that. But it has tremendous I mean, momentum with people who face. aren't looking at the facts of these interviews and who these teams Look ended it. up hiring. The league, the league media table setters. Guys like, guys like uh, Rappaport and uh, Albert Breer and Schefter. I mean, all, and everybody else, Charles Robinson, they've all bought in to the idea that Eric Bieniemy has been passed over because of race. So that's not going to change, which makes it very difficult to get rid of a guy like that. Mm-hmm. I don't think you were. Uh, look, but the point- I, I'm, not, I'm not discounting the possibility that here, here's a long shot possibility, and I mentioned this in my column. You know, Eric Bieniemy is successful to some extent. And the new owner actually thinks he could really be the head coach and hires him to be the head coach. Right. Sure. And maybe he got that. That's a plausible scenario. And I, I'm not discounting that. But what you've done is taken the bat out of the new owner's hands in some ways, I think. I think why, why I'm pushing back on you with respect to this is because I don't agree with you that everybody thinks the enemy situation is about race. I think a lot of people understand that this one's a little bit different than others and the overall problem. I mean, you're, you're now saying that 15 teams, three of which, four of which hired minority candidates after interviewing him, didn't, didn't hire him because he was black. The general manager who's black and general manager who, uh, in Chicago who knew him better than any other general manager, presumably, didn't even interview him. Now, somebody did send me something that said, you know, they, they hired Eberflus two days after he took the job, and the, they had three what they called final candidates. Okay, well, they gave him the responsibility of picking among those three candidates. You're going to tell me that if he had gone to the McCaskies, it's the McCaskies, right, and said, hey, um, 
I, I want to interview Eric Bieniemy. I've been around him forever. Look, Eric Bien- Matt Nagy's been called now the successor. Somebody needs to go to Kansas City. The people that are so hell bent on this being a race issue as to why Bieniemy has only been offered by one team other than Kansas City. Why why didn't Kansas City hire him to a long-term assistant head coach offensive coordinator position and say when Andy Reid retires Eric Bieniemy is going to be the next head coach? Why didn't they do that? It's a good point. I mean, why didn't Andy Reid say to the Hunts, "This is the plan here. This is what I want the plan to be. He's the real deal. Let's not let him get away." Um, now, Andy Reid's only 64 years old, and he's got Patrick Mahomes. If I'm Andy Reid, I'm going the rest of Mahomes' career and making a run at Belichick, you know, as long as he likes coaching. I mean, he's, for a 64-year-old guy, I know people think Andy Reid is older. He's not. He's 64. He's got two Super Bowls now, and he could get two or three more with Pat Mahomes as his quarterback. But I, 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 I agree. I, I also want to say something that he, I didn't. He ain't going anywhere. He ain't <laughs> going anywhere unless something forces him to. I also just want to emphasize something that I don't think I emphasized enough yesterday. I totally get why Eric Bieniemy wants to move on. You know, he he was unable to get a head coaching job, being from the Andy Reid, you know, coaching tree, um, and you know, one of the reasons may be is that people aren't sure about what his true contribution to the Kansas City success has been. And I understand him wanting to move uh, on from Andy Reid's shadow and have his own deal where there's no mistaking what happens. In Washington, there will be no mistake as to what Eric Bieniemy is with this offense. Now, he doesn't. we don't know if he's got a quarterback. We don't know if there's going to be a good enough offensive line. He may have his hands tied a little bit in this first year. They may, have, they may realize that, that, that Hal's not the guy. I'm not saying he is or isn't, isn't. I have no idea, nor do you people. But if they find out that he's not, you know, the needle in a haystack, you know, after the first round guy, after the second round guy that turns into a legitimate starter, you, you know, he's he may not be able to prove what he wants to prove. But th- here's a benefit for him. This offense has been so poor, so substandard for so long that if he elevates it just a little bit and Sam Howell develops into something that appears to be an NFL starting quarterback, he'll get the credit for that. Because, Tommy, one of the things I learned from talking to people over the weekend, Ron Rivera is giving him everything. This is his show. Scott Turner, I don't know if that was always the case, um, you know, but Biennemi's got full control over the offense, full, full autonomy. So I understand him, and I, I mentioned this too yesterday, and I don't know how you feel about this. I have respect for Bienemy doing this. I have respect for him doing this because I think there are a lot of people that would have done the woe is me thing, done the, you know, going down the path of saying he's been wronged in so many different ways. I haven't seen him or heard him say anything to that effect. He is taking what is perceived to be a lateral move 
And it's more than a lateral move because of the title and because of the responsibility. But I, I, I respect that. You know, he's going to he, – he, this dude wants to go prove that it's not just all Mahomes and Reed and people will see it. The, the teams that pass, the teams that wouldn't even interview him will, will rue the day rather than, you know, being publicly a woe-is-me candidate. Look, I've got nothing but respect for him because he, he took the wor- one of the worst jobs in football, okay, working for one of the worst organizations in football. Uh, so he's obviously determined to uh, show, show people that they've been wrong about him. Uh, good luck to him. I hope he does. But uh, there will be things beyond his control that he, he, he may recognize before the press conference even starts. <laughs> which is Thursday. He may be saying already to, you know, his wife, I guess he's married, I don't know, uh, to his family, oh, my God, what did I do? I've been in the building for two days. This place is a mess, and they got people taking tours, and there's going to be a new owner in a month and a half. Ron told me he he was safe for 2023. Now it looks like he might not be. Who knows? Um, I hear a couple of um, – I don't. I wouldn't call them conspiracy theories. I've got a couple of things to present to you, though. What are the chances that Ron Rivera was doing Andy Reid a solid here? Because I think what is very suspicious is, again, what I said earlier. If they loved Eric Bieniemy and he was such, you know. Uh, and it's been such a travesty that he hasn't been offered a job by anybody else. Why didn't they lock him up to a long-term contract as the assistant head coach, offensive coordinator, and say when Andy reads, Eric Bieniemy is next in line? Because it seems like that's a sort of what they're doing with Matt Nagy. I think they'd be stupid to go public with that with Matt Nagy because it'll then raise all of the questions that I just asked, um, which should be asked anyway. Um, but uh, what's the, what are the chances that really the Chiefs wanted to move on from Biennemi? Ron Rivera is a good friend of Andy Reid. Ron Rivera knows that his days here are numbered, and he thinks he's got at least a year, and no one else was willing to hire Biennemi, to, even to be an offensive coordinator as far as we know. And that Ron, you know, uh, said, you know it took, it did something for Andy Reid by hiring Biennemi. Uh, do I think that was the motivating factor? No. Do I think that they looked at this and said this is a win-win as far as him and Andy Reid are concerned? I think that's possible. I mean, you know, I mean, how likely was it what they were going to promote Ken Zampezi as the offensive coordinator? I think it seemed pretty likely. You <laughs> I know, know? I, I have no idea. So it, I think they could have hired Pat Shermer. And neither one of those two is as, is as exciting a storyline as Eric Bieniemy is. Right. So I think this benefited both parties. I don't think doing a favor for Andy Reid was the motivating factor. I think that was just a byproduct of it. What about the press release part of this? We know that they have been trying at every turn, and certainly in the off season, to try to drum up interest in the team. Um, you know, hiring Eric Bieniemy, whether or not you think it's a good hire, bad hire, it'll succeed, it won't succeed, um, regardless of him not having many options, bringing him on here is, this is going to be... Stop it. What? Stop it. What? Stop it. What are you going to say? This is... This will be... 
this will be a boost? This is no, 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 no. That's not what I'm going to say. This is going to be Washington in the headlines, you know, August into September. This isn't a tier one storyline in the NFL. That's not, you know, it's, it's not that. It may not even be a tier two storyline, but there's going to be a lot of preseason. How's Eric Bieniemy doing? And what kind of job is Eric Bieniemy going to do? This is the most known assistant coach storyline in the in the in the coaching hiring cycle of the last three or four years. The only reason people knew Eric Bieniemy before the last three or four years, obviously some of it is because of the chief success, understood. But really what people know him for is interviewing and not getting hired to be a head coach. Uh, unless, you're a, unless you're a college football fan like me and know that he was involved in the fifth down win over Missouri back in 1990. Um, it, cer- it certainly raises their attention level in terms of storylines when reporters are traveling around the country going to various training camps and doing stories, okay? But remember, uh, it'll always be supplemented by the daily fuck-up stories by this organization. And the reality is, if this team isn't sold by, by August, then it'll, it, it really won't matter who's writing about Eric Bieniemy because no one's going to show up to watch him coach. <laughs> yeah, um, you hit the nail on the head from the jump, and I talked about that yesterday. There's, I, I, it, I understand that there's no new news, although there was a third tour. I think WUSA was the first one to report that. I think Channel 9 um, was the first to report that there was a third tour taken by a prospective bidder. But that is really the only thing that truly matters. Everything else is suspended reality talk which we've been doing for years yes. now. And we yes. will continue to do. Yes. We will continue to yes, do. Yes, we will. Um, all right. Uh, again, I, I, I don't know. I have no idea. I, I think it's a better, I put it this way, it's, a, it's better for us. That's what I know. Yes. It's a better yes. hire for us. And, you know, given what he's gone through, you know, the, the, the pain of of interviewing for all these jobs and then having everybody discuss whether true or not rumors innuendo etc about why you're not getting these jobs um and by the way never complained by I don't think he has complained um about this never made it uh, about you know being completely hosed or making it about anything um where he is you know uh highlighting himself as a a victim uh I I'm rooting for a guy like that, but I am. Well, let me tell you something. Yeah. If he if he thinks that existence was bad, he hasn't seen bad yet, but it's coming. Well, um, yeah. Here, here's here, here's what. No matter what his influence was, maybe it was all time influence and much more than we think. Um, he didn't. He wasn't in an organization with Dan Snyder. He. Uh, he he was with the Hunt family, who's been stellar as ownership throughout their time in the league. He was with Andy Reid. He wasn't with Ron Rivera. I'm Ron Rivera is a hell of a man by all accounts, leader. Um, but you know, Andy Reid is all time great now, Hall of Fame coach, yeah. clearly. And he is going to come here, and he's going to be looking around maybe for the first few days for number fifteen. 
and he's not here. He's still uh, at Arrowhead playing. Um, and so it doesn't matter who you have as an offensive coordinator, people. I mean, unless it's Kyle Shanahan, okay, and that that's the outlier there. The, the 49ers are the outlier where they had a third-string quarterback that they took to the NFC Championship game. That doesn't happen. All right, They are brilliant in San Francisco, coaching-wise, front office-wise. And, by the way, their roster, even though Washington's roster is pretty good, 49ers roster off the charts good. Um, yes. All right, we have other things to get to. Deron Payne Instagrammed something out. I want to talk about that. You have some questions about AI, and I found some new cookies that I like. Um, we'll and get... AI, I don't mean Alan Iverson No, either. no. Uh, I believe it's artificial <laughs> intelligence that you want to talk about, which we'll do right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. This segment of the podcast brought to you by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code KevinDC. They'll offer up a unique deposit bonus that allows you to cash in and cash out quickly. How do you make that happen? Well, you make your first deposit. You use my promo code in doing it, KevinDC. If there's something written in the promo code section, erase it. Write KevinDC. Wager that deposit amount just one time. You're eligible to cash out right away. Most books don't let you do that. My bookie is. Uh, Kansas City without Eric Bieniemy is still the favorite to win the Super Bowl. Washington with Eric Bieniemy is still one of the super long shots to win the Super Bowl. Uh, that's tongue placed firmly in cheek. The offensive coordinator never, ever, or defensive coordinator never changes point spreads or odds. You know what does that? Really good teams with good quarterbacks. Uh, that's why Kansas City uh, is the favorite. Buffalo's the second uh, favorite uh, to win the Super Bowl. Uh, go to mybookie.ag, use my promo code, Kevin DC. Um, we've gotten lots of really nice reviews. Uh, 
It matters a lot that you do this for us if you have the opportunity to do it, especially on Spotify and Apple. Um, this is from uh, this is from Fire Guy, Cali Fire Guy. I'm born and raised in Northern California. My mom was born in Alexandria and raised in D.C. Both have been my second homes since the mid-70s. I've been a California skin a California skin since 1981. I love listening to the podcast. Kevin makes me feel like I'm in town when I can't be. He, Cooley, and Tom are outstanding. Uh, thank you for that. Um, hold on. What is this? This is from Andrew. Every afternoon at 2.30 on the way home from work, I load up the podcast app, hoping it refreshes with a new Shein show. Even more joyous when it's Tuesday or Thursday and there's a show title highlighting the latest plunder out of the Ashburn Clown Show, knowing Tom <laughs> is on to crush them. Hilarious, and they deserve all that comes to them. I grew up in the DMV, my Redskins fandom solidifying just on the tail end of glory. My father had season tickets since the mid-60s up until the confiscation of our name. Recapping Kevin and Tom's critique of the team is always a point of bonding for us. On another note, love ending the show on Thursday with Tom singing, tossing, and turning, only to get then Marvin Gaye's anthem on Friday. Talk about a menu of excellence. Uh, by the way, he, he titled he titled his review on Apple, gave us five stars. It's a music show. Yeah, Tommy, um, I played the tossing and turning uh, from karaoke uh, down in Destin, Florida. And then Friday, I did play the Marvin Gaye 1983, 40 years ago NBA All-Star um, uh, anthem uh, at the Forum in L.A., which I mentioned on Friday David Aldridge wrote a great story about on The Athletic. I mean, there was so much about that, Tommy, I didn't know. But netting it out for you, this guy Lon Rosen was the director of promotions. And back then, they the, the teams were responsible more so for the All-Star game. It wasn't the league to put on the show. So L.A. was responsible for everything having to do with um, the game, including who sung the anthem. Well, they wanted to reach out to Lionel Richie, but for whatever reason, the league, Lawrence O'Brien was the commissioner, the league got wind of it and said, we don't want Lionel Richie. I don't know why you wouldn't have wanted Lionel Richie. He had just left the Commodores, and he was singing three times a lady in 1983. Yeah. You know, he had like three top, you know, five hits that year. But... After the league told L.A. we'd rather not have Lionel Richie, they reached out to Marvin Gaye. Marvin Gaye immediately said yes. But here's where it got interesting, because there were so many quotes from Lon Rosen in here. They had a scheduled rehearsal on a Saturday. You know the anthem, and you know that it became sort of controversial because it wasn't sung in a traditional manner. You know, he had that drum beat, that soul beat that he sung it to. So yeah. on the Saturday, they came in and they rehearsed an anthem. And I, the one thing I couldn't really get from David's story is whether or not he re rehearsed it in a traditional sense. I'm guessing he did, but it was very long. So Lon Rosen said to him, hey, Marvin, you got to shorten it up. And Marvin said, fine, and then left. And they, Rosen said, can you get back here by 11 tomorrow to rehearse the shortened version? Sure. 
So the game started at 12.30, 3.30 Eastern time, 12.30 West Coast time. So at 11 a.m., no Marvin Gaye. 11.15, no Marvin Gaye. 11.30, 11.45, 12, 12.15, no Marvin Gaye. He's nowhere <laughs> to be found. He walks in dressed to the nines, hands Lon Rosen a cassette, said, give this to your sound engineer and tell him to play it when we're ready to start. And that was the, you know, the, the, the drum beat to um, what, he, what they had recorded, actually, the, the, you wow. know, like the day before. And then he went out there yeah. and he slayed it. But, of course, he didn't want Lon Rosen or anybody to get wind of what and how he was going to do it. And that, that's what I believe to be true based on the story, although it wasn't specifically said. And that was the only thing I thought that was kind of missing from the story. But, God, the quotes from the players were great. But anyway, when he got done singing it, Lon Rosen said he turned around, walked out of the arena, and I never saw him again. <laughs> never once. Wow. He said, I thought I was going to get fired, but Jerry Buss loved it. The league was getting calls in New York off the hook, complaining but Jerry Buss loved it, and that's all I cared about. Um, anyway, that's, yes. That's great. So thank you, Andrew, that's for great. the nice review. Rate us and review us whenever you get yes. a chance. So um, before we you get... You know, he had, yeah. he had a big athletic bug, Marvin Gaye. I know he There's did. There's a great story in, in Rolling Stone about how <clears throat> he would try to get in and spar with fighters. Right. And he did it with Ali. And really got too rambunctious with Ali, and Ali put him down, you know. And uh, he managed a fighter for a few years, and he actually wanted to try out with the Detroit Lions. Exactly. At one point. Yeah. So he had a big athletic bug. According to the people who knew him, it was kind of delusional uh, about his athletic prowess. But he loved sports. Yeah, there's the story because uh, I, I went down sort of a, a deep hole after reading the story in The Athletic. I mean, I've always been a Marvin Gaye fan. I, I don't, he's from D.C., as you know. I, I think he's yeah. got one of the most effortless, vo- great voices of all time. It's like when he sings, it's like it's one of those voices. And when you're watching him, unlike you doing karaoke, where it really looks like he's not even trying. And it just comes out, and it's it's so beautiful. But... Um, I found that story about the Lions that, you know, Lem Barney, and I think it was, yes. um, oh, there was another player on the Lions whose name is a recognizable name, and I'm forgetting it right now. Lem Barney was, you know, an all-time great. But he was friends with Lem Barney and another player on the Lions, and he was trying to get a tryout with the Lions. He said he thinks he can play in the NFL. Uh, yeah, but the yeah. Lions, he, he kept pushing, but the, the Lions basically said, you can't come out here because we'd have to sign you to a contract, and if we didn't do that, we'd have liabilities um, You know, if you, were, if you got hurt. Um, and so they would not let him try out. But, yeah, he apparently had this belief that he was quite the athlete, too. Yes. The, yes. Uh, the other thing about I'm him. Sure, I'm sure he was. I'm yeah. sure he probably was. Just not a professional athlete. Right. That's all. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the other thing I didn't know uh, until Friday is that he had sung the national anthem during the 1968 World Series, Tommy. That was Cardinals-Tigers, right? That was the Bob Gibson World Series? Yes. 68? 
Am I right yeah. about that or not? I forget what what it was. No, you're right about that. He's he's he had, you're right about that. So he had sung the national anthem anthem previously at a sporting event, but did it with the normal national anthem well, tone. But he wanted you know, to do it differently, but they wouldn't let him. Well, you know what happened in '68. Well, yeah, we had the, the riots. Series. That's, no, 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 no. That's when Jose Feliciano sang the national anthem. Oh, I mean. And, and and sung it in his own way, in his own interpretation, and caused a shitstorm. A I mean, like the NBC switchboard was swamped with complaints about it. And I actually interviewed Jose Feliciano when the Tigers were in the World Series in 2006 about that. Uh, he was in uh, in Las Vegas at the time. I got him on the phone and talked to him. If you lived through that. That was a huge story. So I could understand if he was following Jose That's Feliciano. That's the only part I read about. People... I didn't read about the Jose Feliciano part. Oh, I'll send you my column from that because it, it's, it's a remarkable story and was a huge story at 68 when the country was so divided about Vietnam at, at that point. Sure. And Jose Feliciano did his own interpretation of the national anthem, and he thinks it, it nearly destroyed his career. Well, he was I mean, blacklisted on, from his songs being played on radio stations after that. I mean, you know, the the fall classic in 1968 followed the summer of absolute, you know, chaos with, you know, yes. first, obviously, RFK's assassin, uh, first uh, MLK's assassination. Two months later, it's RFK's assassination. We're in Vietnam. It's the, the convention in Chicago, the Democratic, the whole thing, that the summer of 68 riots, the summer of 68, you know, half of our cities were burning to the ground. In the summer of '68, and Detroit was one of them. So I'm looking this up. Gay sang the national anthem Game Four of the 1968 World Series. So do you think Feliciano? He must have sung it before. But the story was that Marvin Gaye did want to sing it in a different tone, but they told him no. I don't know what song it was. Uh, Actually, Uh, or what game it was? It was it was before Game Five. It was before Game Five. Okay, well, then it was the next game. Yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting that they wouldn't let Marvin do it because if they said anything to Jose, he didn't listen to him. Right. <laughs> um, all right, uh, thank you for the reviews. Rate us and review us if you have uh, the opportunity. So, uh, Tommy, uh, today is the first day NFL teams can use the franchise tag on players who are not under contract for 2023. Um, And everybody believes that Deron Payne is one of those players that will be tagged. They've got between today and March 7th, so two weeks to franchise tag or transition tag him, but more likely than not, it would be a franchise tag. More likely than not, they'll tag him rather than extending him because of the ownership situation. It's in flux, and the Snyders, more likely than not, don't want to come out of pocket um, all of the guaranteed money that would be involved in a contract extension, which would have to go into escrow. They would likely get it back from whomever purchases the team, um, but they probably don't want to do that. And, you know, the idea here is maybe Washington will put the tag on on Deron Payne and maybe even say to him, look, we're going to look at, you know, talking to you and your agent about a long-term deal once the ownership situation gets cleared up. Now, last night, Deron Payne via Instagram put out the following message, quote, in that mode, 
I need every penny. Uh, and then there is an emoji of a bag full of money. Uh, he's chasing that bag, as they say, Tommy. He wants that big contract extension off what was a career year for him. And by the way, a very um, interesting market for defensive tackles. Like this may be the new wide receiver of the next year or two where defensive tackles are sought out and paid a lot more than than what they've made. There's a real disparity, by the way, in average annual between Aaron Donald, who makes $31.6 million, and then Leonard Williams and DeForest Buckner, who both make $21 million, uh, a year. That's a huge disparity. Um, Deron Payne's going to certainly get more, or he would get more, than John Allen got on the open market. John got four uh, for 72, $18 million bucks a year, 35.6 of it guaranteed. I mean, Deron Payne on the open market – uh, one of the highest rated free agents by almost every free agent, you know, discussion and ranking, um, you know, he'd be looking at a deal of 50 million guaranteed somewhere in that neighborhood, maybe more and 22, 23, 24, 25 million dollars a year. So he doesn't want to get tagged for 19 point or 18.9 million dollars a year. I think it is. Um, it's 18.93 million exactly. He doesn't want, he wants guaranteed money. He wants life changing money. Not that 18.93 million dollars isn't life changing money, but there's a chance that he could sign a deal for 50 to 60 million in guaranteed money. He doesn't want to get tagged. Wouldn't surprise me if he doesn't sign the tag. You know, we've had some of that in recent years. You know, Devontae Adams um, didn't tag uh, the, the, the franchise deal from the Packers last year. Um, we've had players, uh, Le'Veon Bell probably being the most famous of, you know, and he made big mistakes, um, at the end of his career with, with contracts, but, uh, Deron Payne could go that route of forcing their hand. But I, I personally think that Deron Payne proved enough. I know the concern over the contract year, uh, situation, um, but I don't know. My hunch is that Deron Payne is entering his prime and he's going to be a really good player. Um, I don't want to lose Deron Payne. As a, as a fan of the team, even though I'm not as passionate, I, he's been one of my favorite players since they drafted him. I think he is really, really good and has the chance to get even better. And the combination of him and John Allen is really the strength of this football team. So I think expect franchise tag and maybe contract extension talks once ownership changes. What do you think? Look, I think you're probably right, and I disagree with you in the sense. I think that, that uh, the franchise tag is the perfect way to pay Deron Payne. I really do believe you saw him step up this year and play because it was a contract year. I think you why saw do you, his, his Why do you think that? Because he talks about getting paid so much. I mean, it's, it's the overlying message that you hear come out of Deron Payne right. on, on social media. Okay? Uh, getting paid is a big deal to him. It's not that it shouldn't be. But I think that uh, I think he saw this year as his chance to get paid. He stepped up as a result. And he may be unhappy about being a franchise tag player, but he's not going to get paid if he doesn't play well under the franchise tag. I think you franchise tag him twice. This is the ultimate year-to-year guy. This is the guy who you want to pay year-to-year. 
You won't have them after two years after that, but, you know, you live with that. So I think you franchise tag him this year, and if he's worth it, you franchise tag him again next year. I think once you pay a guy like this, all t- you know, with, 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 a, with a long-term deal, you're not going to get the same level of play. I hear what you're saying. I think that, um, not that you did this, but I've used this example before. The Albert Hainsworth situation was different. You know, he had that great year in the contract year, entered free agency. Washington signed him to the biggest deal in the history of the league for a defensive player. But Washington didn't know the player. You know, they they didn't spend, you know, four years with the player. This team has. They've spent five years, actually, uh, with the player, right? Deron Payne came into the league in 2018. He's played five seasons with this team, and he's played three with this coaching staff. And, you know, from the jump, I remember um, actually uh, Jack Del Rio saying one of the players he was most excited to get a chance to coach was Deron Payne because he really flashed on film. Deron Payne's been flashing on film since the jump. Um, I know what you're saying. I guess I would just defer to those out there um, that have been with him for four years to know whether or not he is um, a one-year aberration of greatness because he was in a contract year. Because before the one great year, he still was a good player. But um, I think that, you know, we don't know him. I don't know him in terms of work ethic, in terms of whether or not they believe he's ascending as a player and that this was not an aberration, that it wasn't, you know, money-driven necessarily. So I don't know, probably naive, but I would, um, I would just uh, defer to the team on this one because you could, you could, even though the franchise tag should be an incentive as a contract year again, you know, you could really end up pissing them off. I think you're, I think you're giving them too much credit that they would have the ability to, to decipher this information that you, you have presented. Them or anybody? Them. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. Um, other You're giving them way too much credit. <laughs> other but this this is I mean you 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 franchise tag them, and then you know you, you, I'm sure you know somebody will sit down and say Duran you may be pissed, but you're not going to get that big paycheck you're 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 chasing unless you play well again this year. Yeah. Meantime, the paycheck. If you play, if you play like you're pissed off. You're not getting paid. <laughs> Meantime, if he does get tagged, he's going to make nineteen. Uh, he's going to make eighteen point nine three million dollars um, this year. But yeah, he could end with fifty to sixty million guaranteed on a long term deal. Understood. All right. Um, what did you want to say to me about artificial? Oh, I, I wanted to mention also real quickly uh, the, the real story when it comes to the franchise tag is not Deron Payne. The real story is Lamar Jackson and what Baltimore does with Lamar Jackson. Because there are many people that think that he's playing under the franchise tag again in Baltimore next year. Uh, Other people believe that they're going to get a a long-term deal worked out. I think fewer and fewer believe that he's going to be traded. Um, So we'll see what Baltimore does with Jackson. Also, keep an eye on what the Giants do with Daniel Jones. You know, I mean, they, they, they can't... Uh, they can't let him get to unrestricted free agency without a long-term deal, so they may have to tag and he, him. He, and he's looking for $40 million a year. Yeah. Yeah, and the quarterback number 
um, for this year is $32.41 million for one season. All right, what did you want to um, talk about uh, as far well, as I've, artificial well, I've intelligence? Been th- I've been thinking about artificial intelligence for quite a while now. Uh, I remember, look, Elon Musk, in my opinion, may be a dirtbag, but he shoots missiles into space. So he has some level of intelligence. And he said uh, a couple years ago that the thing that people should be worried about the most is artificial intelligence. And that always stuck with me. And now we're seeing it, we're seeing the beginning stages of it coming into play uh, publicly, uh, actually in the media. Uh, Sports Illustrated, they're using AI to write like some of these articles, like the best ways for men over 40 to maintain muscle and stuff like that, where they would have used some, a person to have written a story like that. Really? Now, there's been a lot. Yeah, and there have been, there have been other uh, publications and, and websites that have used AI, and some of it's backfired on them because oh, people found a lot of mistakes in some of the work. But these, this is the early stages. They're going to get that worked out, mm-hmm. okay? The fact that they can write, that, that it, can, it can write a story and have a couple mistakes. <laughs> i got to tell you something. Except for me, yeah. most humans write stories and make a couple of mistakes yeah. too. Right. Okay. That's not necessarily an unusual occurrence. Mm-hmm. Present company excluded. Okay. Uh, but this is this is entering the creative field of uh, of endeavors. Uh, and that's if you're a creator, if you're an artist or you're a writer or something like this, this this is pretty scary yeah i mean the the fact that you use the example which obviously it hit home for you um that you know artificial intelligence will replace artists like you like you know like us actually and i say that you know partly um with sarcasm but actually you know what we do what you do in writing a column what we do on this podcast what we have done on a radio show what i continue to do on a radio show which you know is considered what they call spoken word radio long form um intimate you know uh radio where you're supposed to be provocative and entertaining and interesting and thoughtful and yes you're supposed to be informative as well but it's actually much more of a creative job than i think most people would think but i guess uh, yes that's surprising to me because i would think and I don't know much about artificial intelligence. You know, I've been around people who work in that field and been very much on the periphery of those conversations, a lot of it sailing way over my head. But I guess I've always felt like this stuff will ultimately really replace manufacturing jobs and, um, you know, and, and other things too. I understand it's not just, you know, technology, physical technology either. I know it's much more than that, but the, the example you brought up, I, that I didn't even think of it from that perspective. Yes. I mean, this is not, this is not a machine on an artificial intelligence, a machine on a, on a, an assembly line. This is getting into the brain. Okay. It requires a brain. I know some of you people may not think so who listen to the podcast, but it does require a brain to create. And now artificial intelligence is literally replacing that brain 
with their own, with with artificial intelligence. Now, you know, I've talked about this with one of my sons, uh, and he thinks it's great because he has this vision someday of nobody having to work and then everybody getting a national income. Okay, so so you can pretty much live however you want, and that's the, like the ultimate upside, maybe, of of uh, artificial intelligence. I see, I, I see a frightening future. You know, I mean, if I was if I was younger, I'd be very scared about what this would do. And unless, uh, unless you're working in that field, because it's always with technology, it's always the question of, right, you know, are you replacing jobs or are you creating jobs? Well, typically you end up doing both. And so this may but be... But what, what if they, they, they create an artificial intelligence to create artificial intelligence? <laughs> well, then who's creating the artificial intelligence to create the artificial <laughs> intelligence? Somebody is. But I, do you I know, think... but I think that number probably shrinks as uh, improvements come along. It's, it's, it, it's, it's a scary world uh, we're looking at in terms of AI. You know, I mean, you know everyone... I mean, the ultimate uh, ground zero for artificial intelligence is 2001, yeah. a space odyssey. Right. Uh, and uh, how, how, I forget, how the computer that tries to take over the uh, spaceship. I mean, that's, that's, the, uh, that's a ground zero nightmare for AI. I wonder what some of these objects in the sky think about our artificial intelligence. Do we know what those things were? Were they just weather balloons or university balloons? up there doing things? I don't know, but you know what I thought of? Remember the guy about 30, 40 years ago, maybe 50 years ago, who tied a bunch of balloons to his lawn chair and took off? No. And flew, <laughs> like, as high as 10,000 feet or something like that? Are you, are you serious? No, I'm serious. It was a story. I have to look it up. But, uh, no, that was definitely a story. A guy did that. I mean, if he did it now, he'd be shot out of the sky. 1982, Larry but, Walters went 16,000 feet above the ground in a lawn chair with a bunch of balloons. <laughs> How, did he get down by just popping them one at a time? I don't remember. What's it say? I don't remember. I mean, he didn't die. I know that. He L.A. truck die. driver Larry Walters launched his aircraft, a Sears lawn chair dubbed Inspiration from his backyard. He attached it to more than 40 helium-filled weather balloons. Expected to ri- He expected to rise about 100 feet in the air. He quickly found himself at 16,000 feet where he was spotted by passing airline pilots. <laughs> How was he breathing? I, I mean, I would hope that he had some oxygen at 16,000 feet. I mean, he wasn't at 35,000 feet. To lower his altitude, Walters used a pellet gun to pop some of the balloons. <laughs> but it's he, like a cartoon, isn't but, it? But listen to this. He accidentally dropped the gun. Realizing he was descending too quickly, Walters dubbed, uh, dumped water from plastic jugs strapped to the chair uh, after drifting onto some power lines in a dramatic rescue by the LAPD, Walters gave the lawn chair to a passing neighborhood kid. The kid was Jerry Fleck, who three decades later donated the lawn chair to the National Air and Space Museum. So we can go down to the Air and Space Museum and see this chair. Don't say it. 
<laughs> oh my God! Look at the picture of this guy. It just Google yeah. lawn chair sixteen thousand feet. <laughs> wow! And that I mean, again today, that guy risked getting shot down. <laughs> yeah, sixteen thousand yeah. feet. I mean, how much further would he have gone? I mean, at that point, he would have died, obviously, unless he had oxygen. Yeah. I mean, you get up to 35,000 feet like planes fly. I mean, you're not breathing up there. No. That's a great story. That's, yeah. a, that's an incredible that, now story. That, now, that's not artificial intelligence. Somebody might say that's artificial stupidity, but that's a hell of a story. Yeah. Um Great story. I had never heard that before. Larry Walters. Uh, all right. Um, we've got other things to finish up with. I'm not sure exactly what. Although I do have I do have a new favorite cookie to tell you about. Uh, we'll get to that in more right after these words from a few of our sponsors. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Tommy, tell us about Shelly's. Well, this is a message that I've delivered to all of you out there before, but I think this is an opportune time to do it. This is the time of year, in fact, to do it. Uh, there's no football right now. You know, we're, we're not into March Madness yet with the college uh, uh, NCAA playoffs. So th- this, is, this is the time where uh, keep families look for things to do, at least some members of the family, and drag other fa- members of the family along with them. And they usually wind up downtown D.C. to the various great museums that we have downtown, you know, taking trips uh, to fill that Sunday void. Some, some of you reluctantly, maybe, but understanding how wise it is to go along. Let me just point out a safety valve for you. Shelley's back room at 1331 F Street Northwest. Shelley's back room is very convenient to, to the metro, to D.C.'s metro, and it's right a couple of blocks away from the Smithsonian's and all the other museums and sites in D.C. So uh, you find yourself getting on the, off the metro, and, you're, and you know, your significant other says, well, let's start with the uh, National Gallery of Art. And you say, you know what, honey? Uh, while you do that, I'm going to go up the road and have a cigar and a smoke. I'll just be right up the road at Shelly's back room. You you text me when you're done, <laughs> yeah. and I'll join you. It must work for you. you. Know? Yeah. 
I'll be smoking so, a cigar, hanging out with the guys, having a few cocktails. You yeah. go do your deal. Okay. So you need to plan your exit strategy around that, because Shelly's back room is the place to seek refuge on days like that. Shelly's back. I mean, you know, great menu for food, great menu for cigars, uh, a menu of excellence, as we like to say. Shelly's back room, thirteen thirty one F Street Northwest in the district. So, Tommy, your favorite cookies are those Lorna Dunes, right? That's what you eat, those shortbread yes. cookies? Is that, is that yes, your, I is, like those. Is that your only cookie that you eat? Pretty much so. Uh, and, uh, again, I only eat it occasionally uh, because I would eat it every day if I could. So only, like, uh, maybe three or four times a year I'll buy some uh, Lorna Dunes to have. Um, do you ever go to Trader Joe's? No. There's no Trader Joe's in Frederick, mm. uh, and I've been to one once in, in Columbia. Uh, but, you know, look, my roots are in, in uh, grocery stores like yours are, so I don't really like hanging out. So they have uh, – Trader Joe's is not – I mean, I'm not going to say that it's my favorite place because it isn't. I, they've got a lot of odd product in Trader Joe's. My wife loves it, but I'll tell you what, they have these – ginger snap cookies they come in this plastic you know sort of bin um and i had got i had a a package of those and i put everything in the freezer i put cookies i put candy always in the freezer i don't know why it just to me it tastes much better these are the best cookies i've had in a long time now i'm kind of a i like ginger snap cookies I like I, 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 I love ginger. I love a ginger snap cookie, and um, and this is the best one I've ever had. There are literally chunks of ginger in it, and when they're cold, they're it's I, I, I ate I ate a whole box of these Trader Joe ginger snaps over the weekend, and then decided, well, I've got to go get another one, and that one's half done. Wow. This is a problem, like, because you can eat them kind of like people eat, like, M&M's or Tic Tacs. Like, you just keep, you know, or goldfish. It's like you can't just eat one or two, and these things are the best cookies I have ever had. Now, I'm more of a chocolate guy, but I love ginger cookies. I love ginger snaps. The best ginger snap I have ever had. Ginger snaps, Trader Joe's. If you're hip to it, you can let me know if I'm right or wrong in your opinion. If you're not, it's great. Like, I think they're called triple ginger snaps. Outstanding You don't stuff. dunk them, do you? No, I'm, I'm not a cookie dunker. I can remember my father when I was a kid. He would always take – we didn't get Oreos. My father loved those Hydrox cookies, you know, which I think was – is that Nabisco's version of Oreos, Hydrox? Cookies. I, I don't know. I think I think it is. He preferred those. My father always always dipped cookies into um, into milk. I've never liked soggy cookies ever. Oh, I've, I'm a big dunker. I'm big on that. That's the only way I eat them. That's the only way. So you do it with your Lorna. Milk. You got it you, with your Lorna Dunes. You do it. Yes, I do. All right. Uh, I know you've got something that you want to finish up the show with, and we'll get to that in a moment. I did want to mention to all of you, I did see the LaShawn McCoy 
comments on Fox about Eric Bieniemy. Um, he pretty much trashed Eric Bieniemy, which he's done in the past. He only played there for one year. And Andy Reid pretty much said, you know, LaShawn McCoy at that point was an older player, a little bit washed up, and he can kind of understand the bitterness that he had. I mean, Andy Reid, you know, never throws a player under the bus, and he pretty much told you that LaShawn McCoy was kind of out there. And no other players that have played for Eric Bieniemy that I know of have ever come out and been publicly critical of Bieniemy. Almost everything you've heard out of Kansas City has been positive over the years. Again, I'll go back to what I said in the opening segment of the show, and that is that you know, you do have to wonder a little bit if they thought he was, you know, all that and more, why not lock him up uh, and give him the opportunity to go be a head coach somewhere else, but don't let him go be an offensive coordinator somewhere else and make him the coach in waiting for when Andy uh, Reid retires. But anyway, um, I'm not going to play the LaShawn McCoy stuff, to be honest with you. I found it to be very repetitive. You can find it uh, out there wherever you want. Um, but he's really a lone voice on that. But anyway, uh, that's enough on that. Tommy, you had something you wanted to finish uh, the show up with. Uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about it, and that was my fault. But Tim McCarver died last week. Yes. Uh, and uh, let me just say, in my opinion, he's the greatest sports analyst in the history of sports. Really? Oh, I, he called Mets games in the eighty in the late seventies and early eighties. He started as an analyst for Phillies games. I hired in New York, and I listened to him call Mets games for like decades. I learned more about baseball uh, from Tim McCarver until I became a sports writer and started listening to the baseball managers. But before that, almost everything of, that was worth knowing about baseball, I learned from Tim McCarver. He literally would tell you what was going on on the field before it happened. And he's best known for the 2001 World Series for predicting the game-winning hit off of uh, Mariano Rivera like right before it happened. He was that that good. Uh, He was a renaissance guy. You know, he just wasn't some jock dummy. Uh, He was just brilliant. And, I mean, people used to wound up making fun of him later on. uh, But... Uh, I loved Tim McCarver. He, he he taught a generation about baseball. Did you feel that way about Jim Palmer in terms of teaching you about baseball? To some extent, yes, to teach you about pitching. You know, pitchers don't know what it's like to be an everyday player. Okay? So they're limited. This is why you don't have a lot of pitchers as managers. Uh, so, yeah, I've always felt that way in part about Jim McCarver, about Jim Palmer, but McCarver being an everyday catcher uh, for a lot of his career, and a terrific ball player, by the way, too, uh, as well, uh, and a great high school football player out of Memphis. There's a high school football stadium in Memphis named for Tim McCarver hmm. uh, because of how great he was as, as a high school athlete there, and particularly a football player. Uh, but I just wanted to mention that he had a big impact on me, and he'll be missed. He's great. I think for me, listening to Jim Palmer, you know, all those years when we didn't have baseball here and the Orioles were the only thing you could watch, and I was never a big Orioles fan, but I will tell you that there were years and summers where I watched a lot of Orioles games, especially when they were good. 
Um, and I went to a lot of Orioles games, even though I was never like a hardcore f- Orioles fan, but a lot of my friends were. You know, they were definitely into the Orioles. And I thought Jim Palmer was just incredible. Uh, Tommy, that's one of my favorite, you know, um, lunch with the legends that we ever did was with Jim Palmer. He was incredible with just an unbelievable. Oh, that's right. It was just me. It was just me. Yeah. And it was, I I wish, I I wish you had been there. Um, But he just had, I mean, he had an incredible memory. Um, uh, McCarver, never, I never had an issue with. Was Tony Kubek considered to be really good? Because he's like, he and, yes. and Joe Garagiola are like the first two that I remember with, you know, with Kurt Gowdy primarily, right? It was, it was Gowdy doing the NBC when, when NBC had the World Series all throughout the 70s, you know, probably into the 80s before ABC or CBS got it. I, I don't know when it, when it turned. Well, no, NBC probably had it because cause the, the, uh, the, the Gibson home run is an NBC call by Vince Scully. Um, but ABC did have it for a while, I believe. I know they had the Monday Night yeah. Baseball baseball with Howard Cosell, you know, uh, on there. And, yeah. and uh, Al Michaels, I think, was a part of that broadcast, Keith Jackson. But was Tony Kubek, he's the first one I really remember. Was he considered to be a great yeah, analyst? He was, yes, he was. Yes, he was. But McCarver brought it to a whole new level. I mean, he really did. I mean, like nobody had ever heard before uh, – you know, the Mets have a great booth right now. Uh, they've got Ron Darling and Keith Hernandez yeah. in their booth. And I don't get to listen to Mets games much, but I'll bet that's a great booth to listen to. Well, we had Ron like, Darling for, Carver, for a while. Mets. Well, we had Ron Darling for a year a where year. he had right. no idea what he was doing. Right. Uh, and then he became a great analyst yeah. uh, for the Mets. Right. Um who did he call? That's all I got, Paul. Who did he call games for the first year for the Nats on TV? Who, who did, was Masson, it, when Masson wasn't on TV. Was, was it Mel Proctor? It was Mel Proctor and him. Yeah, that's what and I thought. And Masson couldn't get on Comcast because there was a fight with Comcast. Right. So nobody except some small little cable company in D.C. ever saw the games. With the first year? Yes. Really? Masson existed... They had a big fight with Comcast, right. so they weren't on almost every TV in in the metro area. You couldn't watch them on TV. For whatever reason, I thought I watched a lot of the games with Mel Proctor and Ron Darling calling those games. You know, I don't know. Maybe you had – there was a small little cable company in D.C. I remember the cable company the you're talking about. I forget the name of it. We didn't have that. We were in Montgomery County. We had, you know, we had Comcast. Okay. Well, they weren't on. Huh. You know, sometimes they'd be on. There'd be about ten games a year that'd be on local TV. That I think they'd be on, but like Channel Twenty or yeah. something like that. But uh, for most of the year, they were not. They were blacked out. God was Mel Proctor, a fabulous play-by-play guy. He, yeah, was, he was great. He was one of my favorites on radio. You know, he replaced Frank Herzog doing the Bullets games when Herzog called the title in 1978 and then left to be the uh, play-by-play voice for the Redskins. So Proctor replaced uh, Herzog doing Bullets games on radio in 1979, and they went to the finals that year and lost to the Sonics. Frank had the championship. 
Uh, Proctor had the year that they lost. Um, but Frank became the play-by-play voice in 1979. Frank was a phenomenal play-by-play voice doing Bullets games all of those years. He was great. Um, and then Mel Proctor replaced him, and Proctor was just – everything he did, he was great at doing. All right, yeah, that's, he was. that's it. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow. See you, boss. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.